This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. I want to welcome you to the City of God podcast, where we are discussing weekly the cultural moment and the hot button issues of our day, all through the lens of God's infallible word. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, good to see you today. Good to see you as well, Dr. Pacienza, if I might say that. Rob Pacienza receiving his uh, doctorate of ministry from Westminster Theological Seminary as we sit here and record this just a few days ago. Congratulations on that. I, uh, I appreciate in, it, John. In your copious pre- free time, you went out and earned a doctorate. A- absolutely. It was a uh, incredible celebration up in uh, Philadelphia, where uh, Westminster Seminary is located, had a uh, mom and dad there, my wife, Jen, and two children. So it was a incredible celebration, not just uh, for me, but for our entire family. Well, and it, it is awesome. And I, again, I just have to say, and I think I pointed this out on the program before, um, it, it just if I had to try to go earn the doctorate, I would be, I would need a nap right now. I would be completely wiped out. You do that, you pastor a church, you have a family, a young family, you, uh, you know, the, the Institute, you have you have all these different things that you're doing. Any one of them would completely wipe me out. I don't know how you do it, but thanks for dragging. By God's grace along. alone, uh, <laughs> truly, by God's grace alone, an incredibly supportive wife. Well, today, John, we're talking about uh, the redefinition of hate. I heard someone say once that we live in a Wikipedia society mm-hmm. where we can um, arbitrarily redefine words uh, to fit our agenda, to meet our end goal. Um, and that's really what we're seeing today, particularly when it comes to hate, uh, when it comes to free speech and the labels that the progressive left are putting upon Christians or anyone who holds to a biblical, biblically faithful position regarding gender, sexuality, or marriage. Yeah, and this redefinition of words is a really important concept and, and one that is not at all new. You know, we go back to... We We've talked about this on this podcast before, Rob, but you go back to Jay Gresham Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism. He wasn't even really dealing with Marxism per se, although there was a Marxist influence even then seeping into the church. But you had, you know, a hundred years ago, the the same words of the faith being used, but a different language imported into them, a different meaning imported into them. Well, now we're seeing this on, on major cultural topics, and, and uh, it, it includes a shift in viewpoint, and we'll talk about that today, but the the term hate is one that has been co-opted, that has been changed, and is being used against uh, especially conservative Christians in a way that maybe people don't quite recognize and need to understand. Absolutely. And you think about uh, redefining terms, and we go even further back, you go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah says, woe to you right. who call evil good and good evil. He was talking about the redefinition of terms. I, in fact, this past Sunday, I preached on uh, Romans 13 and the role of uh, the church and the state. And it was interesting. Some people came up to me after the service and said, well, uh, what happens when, uh, you know, it talks about respecting and honoring and, and, and giving uh, respect and honor to those elected officials in the state? What happens when they are anti-Christian? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's very important that we read Romans 13 in context because it says, uh, give respect and honor to those that advance the good and restrain mm-hmm. evil according to whose standard, according to God's standard, when elected officials advanced the good and restrain evil 
evil according to the word of God, then of course we respect them and we honor them and we give them the, the tribute that they deserve. The question is, we live in a day where um, you, one has to wonder is really, are we operating by the same terminology and the same definition of good and evil as it's defined by the Bible? I think we know the answer that we're not, and we're even seeing it with the way that people are throwing around the word hate and hate speech and hate groups, uh, taking biblically faithful Christians and churches and religious organizations and labeling them hate groups just because of their positions that they might disagree with. And that's really important from a discernment perspective for Christians. As we're looking at any of these cultural battles today, we really do have to get down to the issue of definitions. What is it that we are actually talking about? We can no longer assume definitions. We can no longer assume a common meaning. That's a perfect example when you talk about and preach about Romans 13 that says that the government, part of the job of the government, in fact, the major part of the job of the government is to reward those who do well and to punish the evildoer. Well, if you're if you're looking if if you're going to do that, it already raises the question, okay, what is evil? What is good? If we're going to punish or reward those things, what are they? You're back to definitional questions. And for a long time, we had sort of a shared cultural understanding of what the definitions of these basic concepts were, including <clears throat> man and woman. We had a, a basic understanding that was shared that came from from a broadly biblical framework, even if uh, even if it wasn't every person in the culture was a Christian, but now we don't have any sort of framework, and so culturally, we're sort of making up definitions as we go along. And so from a discernment perspective, we Christians have to go back to those first principles. What is it? Define that for me. What is your definition of this? And in certain cases, you begin to see how empty the thing is when you start to ask that. You ask now, what is a man? What is a woman? Define that thing for me. You discover that the current culture has no answer to those questions. Absolutely. And 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 what society has been doing over the last 50, 60 years is they've been reading defining this word hate. As I've said multiple times, anybody that holds a uh, biblically informed view of the world, of society, of God's design for marriage, sexuality, gender, uh, now all of a sudden is considered um, a hateful person, or their group is a hate group, or they're, if they speak out on certain issues, according to God's word, it's considered hate speech. And we've really seen this, I and mean, we saw it beginning in Europe, um, decades ago. And what they did, and it was so cunning, uh, they connected hate speech with hate crime. So they said, if any speech leads to or incites violence uh, or incites kind of criminal activity or a hate crime against another person or another uh, group of people, uh, then they kind of connected those two together. So they connected speech with violence and speech with crime, with criminal activity. And that was their way. That's kind of slippery slope of saying, okay, therefore, if you're speaking out against another group, that's going to incite violence. This violence will incite criminal activity. Therefore, that was their cunning way of limiting speech that they disagreed with or limiting speech uh, that they, in their words, could potentially harm or discriminate against another person or another group of people. And so we see that then in America, especially in the last decade and a half with the proliferation of hate crimes laws. Now, let's be clear. Nobody here is for hate. We all agree that that hate is not uh, something
something that we should be pursuing. But we, again, have to define that word and recognize it's being redefined. But these hate crime laws essentially said, okay, there are already laws on the books against, say, murder. But if you murder somebody because of a certain bad attitude, that's going to come with extra punishment. Well, that requires, first of all, that you are able to discern the thoughts of the heart rather than punishing the behavior. You're now trying to punish a certain viewpoint. And there's an absurdity involved in that as if there are better ways and if there are better attitudes and worse attitudes to have as you murder someone. Uh, but that's where we're at now. And so the subtle move, you know, we can all agree, okay, fine. Well, somebody commits a heinous crime against somebody and they do it because of their race, because of their sex. We can... At at least see uh, that's a that's a terrible thing and if you want to ladle extra punishment on that fine but the line that then is drawn is okay that means there are certain prohibited attitudes and yeah okay racism is terrible uh it, but what if we start drawing that line between those who have a certain view of marriage, those who have a certain view of sexuality, those who hold a biblical view of these things, and now we're beginning to see that happen? Yeah. So basically, the the deception uh, that we've fallen into this trap, the deceptive of the progressive left and those secular leaders and secular governments, uh, the, the deception has been this. Let's take any belief or attitude, speech, doctrine, convictions that we disagree with, let's label it as hate speech. Let's make the natural connection between hate speech and hate crime. Therefore, we'll eliminate any speech, conviction, or belief that we disagree with. Yes. It's been incredibly cunning, incredibly deceptive. And unfortunately, the church has been asleep at the wheel and have just allowed this to happen uh, in some nations around the world. And there are churches uh, in some European nations that are severely paying the price, and we're already beginning to see it slowly creep into uh, our nation here in America. And once you accept the argument, then you've already essentially lost. Uh, what has happened way too often, in my opinion, with Christians is that the culture has labeled our views on marriage, our views on gender, our views on sexuality, and so forth. The culture has labeled those as hates, hate, hateful. So uh, they have to. They do. It's, right, because that's the only way you can make the natural connection to a hate crime. Right, that's Therefore, right. Therefore, eliminating all speech, doctrine, and belief, and attitude. Right. But that's the issue, though. Is it really hate speech. Of course not. Exactly. And yeah. so you, by, by labeling it that, and, and what, what has happened too often is Christians have sort of accepted the, the premise and said, oh, but, but, but I'm not actually hateful here. Let me explain to you why my view on this is actually loving. Now, I'm not against explaining our view on this, including the fact that it is truth in love, which we'll talk about as we go here. But once you've swallowed the premise, oh yeah, there is something sort of and bigoted about our view of marriage, our view of sexuality. Now you're tap dancing around it. Now you're trying to find a way to make it more palatable to the culture. And as uh, some Christians in the middle are beginning to discover, it's all or nothing. There is no there is no sort of shading of this that's palatable to the culture. And so then we have a decision to make. Are we are we siding with Christ or man? Yeah. Uh, the church of the 21st century uh, needs to wake up and recognize and act with boldness and conviction and say, no, a biblically informed view of the world 
whether it's marriage, gender, sexuality, whatever it might be, uh, our view of the state, of government, whatever it is, uh, is being faithful to the word of God as we are obedient to the command of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life. And if the culture and the society wants to deem that as hate, so be it. But we are not going to budge from our biblical convictions. We will not allow uh, those in the media, those in the educational uh, uh, sector, those in government to allow uh, us to be um, silenced any longer. And just because they throw these labels around, they redefine the word hate. No, we are being biblically faithful to the word of God. And I think we need to raise up the next generation to be able to articulate that. I think about when seniors are going off to college and no, your, your, uh, your belief in Christianity and your belief in God is bigoted and it's narrow-minded and it's, it, it's ultimately hateful and it leads to hate crimes. And you see the slippery slope mm-hmm. and you have a, a myriad of, uh, you know, Christians that have grown up in the church walking away from their faith because of these issues, because they don't know how to articulate. No, I'm not being hateful. This, I'm not being bigoted. I'm, I'm being faithful to the word of God, uh, because I actually believe that God's truth is the answer for a lost and broken world. And uh, the problem is we have so many Christians, young and old, just capitulating uh, and abdicating their positions based on the pressure that they're getting from uh, the progressive left and those seculars in our society. And while there have been those uh, elites who have really pushed an agenda here and have been purposeful about these redefinitions, what it has led to is the, the raising of an entire generation that themselves was not part of bringing about or engineering that redefinition, but living in that culture, they've sort of adopted all of it. And it's led to an incredible fragility among, uh, among young people that also leads then to uh, redefining everything as hate. And, and what I mean by that, there, there's an excellent book. It was written just a couple of years ago. Um, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. It was written by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, uh, neither of whom are Christians, as far as I know, neither of whom are particularly conservative as far as I know, but they're concerned mainly with academic freedom. That's the issue that they tend to deal with. And they talk about how young people have been protected and wrapped in a bubble to the point of fragility. And so they said, and this is a quote from their book, quote, many university students are learning to think in distorted ways, and this increases their likelihood of becoming fragile, anxious, and easily hurt. So Unquote. So one of the things that they note is that the idea of safety, the idea that I need to be safe is is paramount and that safety has been extended into the realm of feelings. And so being safe now includes emotional safety. And you can begin to see where this through line goes to the danger of quote unquote hate because safety now means emotionally emotional safety. So if my emotions are upset. If you've made my emotions upset, you have now actually made me unsafe. You have threatened my safety by making me feel upset. And so they've been They've been taught, a generation has been taught to judge the speech of others in terms of safety and danger. And so when when you catastrophize everything that your disagreement with yeah, me absolutely. puts me in danger and threatens my safety, well, what do we do with people who threaten you, who endanger you and threaten your safety? Well, we punish them. We 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 arrest them. Well, that's that's where we now find absolutely. 
this is one of the fatal fruits of postmodernism. Mm -hmm. One of the out of, out of postmodernism has come this doctrine of expressive individualism, where where the the self becomes the idol. Right. Uh, so it's about my feelings, my emotions, my feelings dictate uh, what is truth and what is reality. And don't you dare use your Bible or your traditional values or whatever it might be. Uh, don't you dare try to impose them upon me, or therefore you will be deemed as a hater. Uh, you will be deemed as a hate group, that you will be uh, deemed as one who propagates hate speech, and therefore uh, you should be silenced and canceled because you are a threat to society. Uh, John, I mean, I don't need to tell you, I mean, we've seen this right here in our ministry mm -hmm. just several years ago, the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, labeled uh, this ministry, Family Research Council, uh, Alliance of Defending Freedom, amongst others, as hate groups solely because we take a biblical position concerning marriage, concerning gender, concerning sexuality, amongst other issues. And then they slapped that label on us. We were discriminated against uh, by uh, other charities and other groups that work with charitable organizations. We were that uh, we were discriminated against by other media groups who mm -hmm. wanted to take that news and uh, spread it far and wide. And so we've seen this slow erosion of free speech and the uh, the potential and the opportunity to exercise our religious convictions in the public square right here at home uh, in this media ministry, uh, all because of our biblical fidelity uh, and our commitment and convictions to God's word and his design for the world. Yes. And uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center is, is particularly interesting in this regard because they have played an important role in this redefinition of hate. And they, you know, I talked about how some just get pulled along with this and don't even know what is happening. The Southern Poverty Law Center knows exactly what it's doing. And part of its game is to take things that we would all agree our hate, you know, Nazism and, uh, you know, the violent skinhead movements and so forth. And, and their game, the SPLC's game is to take them and to lump them together with conservative Bible-believing Christians, as you said, like us, like the Family Research Council, like Alliance Defending Freedom, who has argued numerous cases before the United States Supreme Court and, and is yet supposedly a hate group. But what they're doing is, is they're, they're, they're playing guilt by association. If we can take mainstream Christian groups who hold biblical views and attach them to Nazis, now we can make them dangerous and now the punishments can set in. And unfortunately, a wide swath of people, particularly in the media, have bought into the game. Yeah, as I said earlier, um, you know, we, we've seen this already happening in Europe. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, many uh, sociologists have said in the past we're about 40 years behind uh, Western Europe here in America. Uh, over in Europe, there are some countries, let me be very clear, that are not dealing with with hate speech, they're dealing with hate crimes. Uh, so if you speak out, it's not just a matter of being labeled as a hater. It's not just being labeled hate speech. It's actually being labeled a hate crime. And that's where we're headed in this nation. So those that might be listening to this podcast and saying, wow, you know, this is, you know, are, are they just being alarmist? Are they uh, over-exaggerating kind of their concern uh, concerning the erosion of free speech? No, not at all. Once again, let us be clear what the connection is. It's starts with taking speech that uh, the secular elites in our society deem as 
old-fashioned, archaic, or something that they just flat out disagree with. They slap the label hate speech on what they disagree with. They then make the connection between hate speech and hate crime, and therefore you can ultimately limit free speech in America according to what they want to advance in the public square. That, that's right, Rob. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think this was very well said, uh, there's a, a uh, an attorney named Emily Gao. She does uh, human rights yep. law and so forth, works for the Heritage Foundation, among other great organizations. And I interviewed her a while back, and she talked about this shift that you've been discussing here as well from the, the objective, the external, to the subjective and the internal. And when everything shifts there, we end up in, in real trouble. And this is a cudgel that's used against Christians. Um, she was pointing at some of the lawsuits against people like the Baker Jack Phillips in Colorado, who's been hauled up before the Colorado Civil Rights Tribunal over and over again because he declines to make cakes celebrating things he disagrees with as a Christian, like same-sex marriage, like uh, gender transitions, and so forth. And she said that the what's being suggested in these lawsuits is that there's a new form of harm. Uh, harm has always meant that you were either, you know, beating me up, physically harming me, or depriving me of access to uh, very necessary physical uh, goods and, and material goods and, and so forth, access to some necessary good or service. But in these lawsuits, it's being suggested that now there's such a thing, there's such a harm as dignitary harm, a harm to dignity. So in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, the Jack Phillips case, um, the the people that came to him didn't have any problem getting their cake somewhere else. They were easily available, and he was willing to serve them. They were even offered free cakes by a number of other bakers, um, but they claimed that they faced a dignitary harm, which meant basically that their feelings were hurt and that they were offended, and that ends up in court. And so it's very dangerous for the courts uh, to recognize or to, to view this supposed dignity harm in the same way that you would uh, you would recognize material harm because and and this is the way that Emily Gao put it she said if my identity rests on your willingness to affirm my identity then ultimately I can control the limits of your freedom absolutely and, and that's really at at the end of the day what this is about even the desire to punish us even the desire it's because it's to control it's so that I can control it I get my way and you get locked up if you dissent. Yeah, it really comes down to liberty. George Orwell said it best. If, liber li if liberty means anything at all, it means having the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. Mm. And that's really what's at stake. I mean, we're seeing this in Canada. I think it was several years ago when uh, there was a, a special rights granted to uh, same-sex marriages. Uh, what did they do? I think it was within days. I mean, it was and basically it was kind of done undercover, uh, you know, with a, not a lot of debate and not a lot of uh, public consensus, basically what they did, as soon as they protected by Canadian law, same-sex couples, I think, like I said, it was a matter of days be, uh, before they uh, enacted a law and ratified a law that would also criminalize anyone who spoke out against homosexual unions or homosexual uh, people. So we're already beginning to see uh, right 
you know, uh, right, right here in North America, uh, the the slow drift from Western Europe to Canada and beginning to see it happening here in America. And I think what we need to understand as the people of God um, who are called to be biblically faithful and have a biblically informed view of the world, we need to understand that when our convictions and our beliefs are under attack like this, and some people deem it as hateful, we need to stand up and say, no, we're not going to allow you to, one, redefine hate. We're not going to allow you to redefine orthodox historic Christianity. Uh, we need to stand up and say Christianity is anything but hateful. Uh, but the problem is we go, we have, we live in a society where we allow people to say, uh, if you speak out against homosexuality or transgenderism, uh, or you advance God's design for marriage or the family, that's hateful. We're just called to love. And therefore, we not only need to make sure that we're defining the word hate correctly, we also need to make sure that we have a biblical definition of love. Love is not just allowing you to do whatever you want to do right. or believe whatever you want to believe. It's believing what the word of God says about all of life. Love is giving people both grace and truth. Uh, grace without truth is accommodation and compromise. Truth without grace is condemnation. We need both. That's a biblical definition of love. And we need to be able to say to the world, we love you enough to give you the truth in a spirit of grace. And that is the furthest thing from being hateful. It's actually everything to do with the biblical definition of loving our neighbor well, that we live according to God's word and according to his design for the world. And at the end of the day, it really is true, isn't it? It, that uh, love, as you point out, requires us to tell the truth. And, and while the truth can be delivered in an unloving way, and I think we would all grant that and we want to avoid that, that uh, while you may be able to avoid confrontation, uh, just dismissing the truth or putting the truth aside is is profoundly unloving. I mean, we are actually doing harm to people when we don't give them the truth, aren't a we? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 somebody going off the cliff and refusing mm -hmm. to stand in front of the car and say, stop, <laughs> you're going to ruin your life. Uh, when we live outside of the will of God and we live against God's design for humanity and for the world, we can only expect chaos. Uh, the reason we advance God's design for all of the different issues that this ministry tackles is not because we're looking for special rights for Christians. We're not just looking for Christianity to advance and Christians to advance, but we actually believe in full human human flourishing. It's what the Bible calls shalom. We actually believe that when the world embraces God's design for all of life, uh, that it leads uh, to what God desires for all humanity, for full human flourishing. Uh, but what we see here is the progressive left doing everything to silence Christians to attack Orthodox Christianity. Uh, and I think it's, um, we're well past due the time where Christians need to stand up and to speak out and say, no, we won't allow you to redefine hate. We won't allow you to redefine love. And we won't allow you to redefine God's design for the world. And the charge, of course, is always, well, you guys are just narrow-minded and bigoted and you want everybody to be just like you. Everybody has to just do things the way that you do them. And, and you can't see beyond that. 
But it's not about the way you, Rob Pacienza, or I, John Ray, would do them. This is about the way that God has designed the world. And yeah. the reality is letting people just go their own way, we see the despair that comes with that. I mean, you look at the it, it, just the transgender population, which is rapidly exploding, which also tells you that perhaps there's a social contagion involved here when suddenly the, the numbers just go off the charts, when at the same time it becomes socially very popular to do so. But if you look at the numbers in the transgender population, it's four out of 10 attempt suicide at some point. This is a problem. We are dealing, I'm, this is the kind of thing that tends to get you in trouble, but we are dealing with mental illness here. But instead of dealing with it as mental illness and as a deep spiritual problem, we're dealing with it as something to be affirmed. It's like taking someone, it's like taking a woman who has anorexia and saying, you know what, you're right. You're a little plump. You're a little zaftig. Let's uh, let's cut down your calories. You're going to kill her. That, the, the worst thing that you can do for her is affirm her in that situation. And yet we want to do that with yeah, some the, other thing. The evidence speaks for itself. Uh, we've, we've, we've bought the lie over the last 50, 60 years that a, a secular public square uh, where God and Christianity and the prophetic witness of the people of God are no longer deemed relevant. Uh, they need to uh, privatize their faith. They need to keep their religion to themselves. We've bought the lie that our society would be liberated, that we, they would be set free uh, from the bondage of this uh, kind of archaic values and virtues and, uh, you know, uh, biblical doctrine. And we seen quite the opposite. Uh, we, we are not flourishing. Mm. Uh, in North America, we are over-medicated. Uh, we are dealing with depression and suicide at uh, record rates. Our society is not flourishing, but it is in a state of chaos. And as I said before, we need to, as the church say, we love the world enough to give them the truth. It's not our truth. <laughs> it's not Rob's truth. It's not John's truth. It's not a, it's not a particular church's truth. Mm -hmm. It is the truth of the word of God. He is the king. Uh, he is the creator God. He is the chief designer. And if we actually believe in the lordship of Christ, not only over the church, but the lordship of Christ over every square inch of creation, we are the ambassadors that go out and preach this truth in love because we realize that this world is in a state of chaos and confusion, and we have the one answer. So how dare anyone in the church say, we are going to keep this truth to ourselves. Let them call us hateful. We know we have our our conscience should be pure and clean and understand, no, we are not trying to be hateful, but we are doing actually what God calls us to do. We love the world enough to give them the one answer, the, the antidote uh, for, their, um, for their salvation, uh, for the cure of sin, the double cure uh, that we believe that the gospel offers uh, this world. And I think we've got to be incredibly um, aware that if we do nothing and we allow them to take our doctrine and our beliefs and label it hate speech, and eventually hate speech leads to hate crimes, mm -hmm. We lose everything. And hate crimes leads to punishment. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we lose uh, what the founders called the, the, the first freedom, uh, the, the freedom to exercise our religion in the public square, uh, the, the, the freedom for preachers to stand up on Sunday morning. Uh, the, if we do nothing, I, I see a day where you can no longer tell people uh, that salvation alone belongs to the Lord and that you cannot be saved unless you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he alone 
alone is the way to receiving the gift of eternal life and the gift of salvation. That alone could be considered hateful mm -hmm. to tell people that they're going to hell because they don't embrace Jesus Christ, uh, removing the freedom to talk about God's design for gender, sexuality, and marriage, and family. Those rights will be removed. So what we preach in the pulpit, what we believe in private, but how we exercise our faith in the public, that is really what's at stake when it comes down to uh, our society and our culture redefining hate, connecting it to hate crimes, and eventually removing all of our free freedoms, uh, particularly our freedom to exercise our religion, both in private and in public. And really, you and I and the church wants more for these people who are entrenched or enslaved by these sins than they even want for themselves. We, they, they think that affirmation will simply lead to happiness. And what we're saying is, no, you can actually have deliverance. You can have transformation. You can live life as God designed it and have flourishing and joy and peace with God and peace in your life that you don't have right now. It's not hateful to proclaim that. It's, it's as you've just pointed out, it's hateful to keep that from people. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to have a long view of history. I know I, I preach that often on yes, this podcast, but yeah, but, but it's important. Uh, the We have biblical precedent all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think of Peter and John uh, in Acts chapter five, uh, when they were called by the authorities to stop preaching the truth. I, I you know, I often call the Roman Empire the first uh, example of a cancel culture. They were doing everything possible to cancel and eradicate and silence Christians. But yeah. what did Peter and John do? No, over and against the civil authorities of the day, they continued to preach the truth. Why? Because they were convicted that this is the only answer for a lost and hopeless world. And that's what's at stake. And that's why Christians need to wake up. We need to be bold. We need to operate with a spirit of grace and truth together, always at the same time, simultaneously, and realize that we have the only answer uh, for a world that is under the dark cloud of sin. Uh, and how could we ever remain silent? We cannot be silent any longer. We need to uh, make sure that we are advancing biblical truth uh, in a culture uh, that desperately needs it. And in any discussion on these issues, I would say the two things for people to ask, for Christians to ask is, okay, how do you define that? Hate, how do you define male? How do you define female? How do you define marriage? What's your definition? And then who says? The authority question. Those are the two issues. Always don't assume them. Yep. Find out what they are. And let's love the world enough to preach the truth That's boldly. That's right. Amen. All right. Well, I want to thank you once again for watching and listening into the City of God podcast. This is a weekly podcast, so make sure that you go to our website, cityofgodpodcast.com, where you can listen and view all previous podcasts. This podcast is produced in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. You can also find us on Apple. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and make sure you go to our YouTube page to watch the video version. If you enjoyed or uh, were blessed or benefited from today's conversation, make sure you pass along our podcast to family and friends as we together navigate this cultural moment all through the lens of God's infallible word. I want to thank you once again for listening, and may God richly bless you.